The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Good morning. Uh, technology. Complexity. COVID signs in. Sign-ins. It's just, you know, the challenge is to keep multiplying. And we can just be with them. We can just, there was a moment I was letting this gentleman in and he was doing all sorts of things on his phone to fill out our COVID protocols. And I just noticed all this tension in my body. And I noticed that I could just let it go and accept everything that was happening. And I wish that for all of us all the time. But I'm going to talk about how it doesn't happen all the time. Um, my name is Bokshu, and I teach here at the Village Zendo. And uh, this is our last week of Ango. And as most of you know, every Ango we have a study text. And so I felt like this is our last week of that study text, and I really wanted to dig in. I never really have in a talk dug in deeply into the text. So this can be a little wonky maybe, um, but we'll see how it goes. So this study text is called The Practice of the Treasury of Luminosity. And it was written in 1278 by Koan Ejo, who was the Dharma heir to Ehe Dogen, who was the founder of our Japanese Zen lineage. So the text was actually written 25 years after Dogen died and 36 years after Dogen wrote a text that um, this text is meant to amplify on uh, called Radiant Light. So Dogen wrote Radiant Light and now um, 36 years later, his descendant is writing on this topic. And there's some interesting stuff going on between the two ancestors. I'll talk about late in the talk. So um, Rio Roshi, if I'm not mistaken, is the person who chose this text for us. And is, in his compassion, he actually excerpted uh, this portion of this text. It's actually a 15 page text. So what we have, I think on our website is just the, the last portion of the text. And I'd like to recommend that if you have the time and the appetite that you read not only all of this text, which is freely available online, but also Dogen's fascicle. Um, and I'll be talking about all of them today. So before getting into the text, I think it's worth just touching on Koan Ejo's enlightenment story. Uh, so it goes like this. Once, while asking for instruction, he heard the expression, a single hair pierces many holes and was awakened. That evening, he made his bows to Dogen and asked, irrespective of the single hair, what are the many holes? Dogen smiled and said, completely pierced. The master bowed. So I ask you right now, irrespective of the many holes, what is awakening? What happened 
to Ajo at that moment. And on this subject, in our study text itself, Ajo comments, what is awakening? It is knowing your mind as it is. This is utter, complete, and perfect awakening in which nothing is attained. Why? The form of awakening is unknowable and inconceivable. Why? Because awakening is formless. The formlessness of all things is just this form of space. That's actually him quoting the Mahabharata Sutra, just to be precise about it. So that's not Koanejo himself. The formlessness of all things is just this form of space. So awakening is knowing your mind as it is. This is utter, complete, and perfect awakening in which nothing is attained. It does sound simple, doesn't it? <laughs> knowing your mind as it is. But there's a lot in that little phrase. What is the mind? The conventional view is that the mind is what perceives the word mind and rummages around in itself, the mind, to define the word mind. But is there actually such a thing as mind? Right now, where exactly is your mind? What is your mind? Is it one hair? Is it many holes? Is it a jet black ball speeding through the dark of night? It is eating when you're hungry and drinking when you're thirsty. Is it like drinking water and actually experiencing it for yourself, whether it is warm or cold? It is, is your mind like or unlike anything at all. What happens when we're sitting and we look at our minds? It's a risky business because according to Koan Ajo, to cultivate the mind or look for the mind like this is just being obstructed by trying to figure it out and obscures the primordial perfection of luminosity. So he's talking about what a particular use of the mind in practice and warning us against that. And he explains what that use of the mind is. And let's see if any of us recognize ourselves in this description. Looking around at monks these days because they base everything on their own narrow views, although they polish it day and night, they are just trying to rub through to get to something. Others try to swat away wandering thoughts hoping to clear things up by beating out the flames so that some mysteriously silent light will shine. If you think it is just a matter of stopping thoughts, then don't wood, stones, and mud already do it better than you can? This is really the worst kind of student to have because they drown themselves to avoid getting burned. Idiots. Ouch. I have to say, I really enjoy his scorn. 
But I don't think it helped him when he was trying to lead Dogen's community after Dogen died. It was probably one of the reasons he had some trouble then. In any case, here he's, one, he's warning us against making Zen practice an intellectual exercise or trying to achieve some special state by suppressing our thoughts. So if it isn't an intellectual exercise, and if it's not about snuffing out our thoughts, what is it about? What does it mean to know your mind as it is? And if you looked at the koan literature, there are many, many koans on the topic of mind. Mind is Buddha. No mind, no Buddha. Neither mind nor Buddha. Neither the wind nor the flag. Ryuan's constant principle. But there's one koan that especially seems relevant to this study text. It's case 28 of the Mumen Khan, well-known Ryutan. And in the lead up to this koan, we learn that a great scholar of the Diamond Sutra, Tuxan, who is in fact by his Chinese name, Dishan, uh, stops for refreshment in a roadside tea stand. And uh, the lady tending the stand notices he has this giant box that he's carrying around on his back. And she asks him what's in it. And he tells her, well, it's all my notes and commentaries on the Diamond Sutra, quite proud of his academic knowledge. Get it? Academic knowledge of the part of the Diamond Sutra. So she says, okay, well, you want a snack, but before you get one, you're gonna to have to answer my question. And if you don't answer it, you're not getting a snack. She was a tough one. She's now one of our ancestors. In our, in our chanting, we chant her name. We call her Rice Cake Lady because we don't know her name, actually. So her question was, uh, quoting the Diamond Sutra itself, past mind is unattainable. Present mind is unattainable. Future mind is unattainable. You have just said that you would light up your mind. Which mind Reverend, sir, are you going to light up? And this is an extremely clever play on words because in ancient Chinese, apparently, lighting up the mind has the meaning of eating a, a snack. So it's both a comment on enlightenment and a comment on eating. And Tishan was completely unprepared for this kind of question. From this un, unassuming person, just randomly encountered seemingly on the roadside, he was given this incredible challenge and he was totally unprepared. He couldn't answer her. He had nothing to say, this expert on the Diamond Sutra. So when I hear this story, to me, it's like there's this guy driving around in this beaten up old car and he stops somewhere and the thing completely breaks down. It can't go another inch. It's a total wreck. It needs a complete, overhaul. And um, just in case you were wondering, the village Zendo is not a Zen garage. We don't fix breakdowns here. I, I feel that what we do is that we create a space where people can get comfortable with their brokenness, where the damage can be healed, not by changing the person, but by changing the person's attitude 
toward their own damage and learning to accommodate and even be joyful in the midst of it. So our study text makes this point very clearly, pivoting from scorn and scolding, Colin Ajo writes, do not continue to conceive of yourself in terms of obstructions and limitations, squeezing out thoughts of self and poverty, of being a deluded being. This is the demonic defilement of the wheel of reality turned by the Buddhas. And um, as those of you who know me might suspect, I have spent many years marinating in what I perceive to be my own obstructions and limitations, trying to fix the broken vehicle, trying to fix myself up. Perhaps it's just an idle boast, but I would like to think of myself as the poster child of demonic defilement. Wouldn't that be great if you got a Wheaties box and on the back there's a photo of someone? Demonic defilement, this is it. Beware, eat your Wheaties. Many of you might have done the same thing as I've been doing. Maybe you're doing it right now. This is unsurprising because most of us come to Zen practice hoping to change ourselves, hoping for some improvement, hoping to be a better person, more compassionate, more patient, more this, more that, or less this, less that. We feel compelled to evaluate ourselves, frantically seeking clues about how good we are. Do we make the grade? Are we worthy? We gobble up every little clue the way pigeons frantically poke at garbage to find stale crumbs. We want to be good, right, and safe. But self-improvement has nothing to do with, your, with knowing your mind as it is. If past mind is unattainable, present mind is unattainable, and future mind is unattainable, what is there to improve? And even if there were a thing to improve, what standard would we judge the improvement by? Who would be the judge of it? It's crazy. But just because it's crazy doesn't mean I don't do it. <laughs> Knowing that it's crazy doesn't change my doing it. Watching myself doing it changes my doing it. That's why I'm here. Don't make the same mistake as me. Can we just have some compassion for ourselves? Can we just give ourselves a fucking break? Kuifeng Songmi, the patriarch of the Yan sect, offers this helpful teaching. There is no need to arouse the mind to stop evil thoughts, nor any need to arouse the mind 
to cultivate the way. Since the way as it is, is mind, we cannot cultivate mind with mind. Since evil is also mind, we cannot cut off mind with mind. Not trying to cut off evil or trying to cultivate good, just letting things follow their own courses and being ourselves is what they call liberation of mind. Nowhere is there either any Dharma principle that we ought to embrace, nor any Buddha that we ought to strive to obtain. Just like the empty sky that does not increase or decrease, so with our mind, what need could there be to augment or amend it, and why? Because outside of our mind itself, there's absolutely nothing not the least little thing of value to be obtained. Yamada Roshi, from a very different era, said that the purpose of Zen is the perfection of character. This statement is very easy to misinterpret. And those of us who see ourselves as deeply flawed uh, leap to the conclusion that Yamada is urging us to improve ourselves. So what does he really mean? In my understanding, the perfection of character is first and foremost, dropping our automatic resistance to reality, dropping our need to improve ourselves. In other words, dropping instead of asserting ourselves, the perfection of character is less character. Our study text puts it this way. There can be no self in practicing the path of the unfabricated, the treasury of luminosity or views of the self at all. Self and views are different names for the same thing, the face of a ghost or the face of a spirit. There is just this luminosity. It is not a matter of establishing any opinions about anything at all. From the views of self and what belongs to self or to ideas about the Buddhas and the Dharma. This is interesting because Dogen, about whom this essay is a response really, says something quite different in his fascicle Radiant Light. He quotes Changsha and says, the entire world of, of 10 directions is the radiant life of the self. The entire world of the 10 directions is within the radiant light of the self. In the entire world of the 10 directions, there is not a single person that is not the self. So is it self, as Dogen says, or is it no self, as Koan Ejo says? They seem to be on a direct collision course, master and student. It's quite confusing. And so what I notice in myself is the overwhelming need to resolve the contradiction, to have it all make sense, to have it all figured out, to have all my doubts extinguished, everything set up on a shelf, clear and perfect. 
that's what I notice when I see these so-called contradictions. That's perhaps the point of the contradictions is that we can see exactly how we respond to them if we're watching and watch that response and work with that rather than a contradiction. Kalan Ejo quotes Yunmin. What is this luminosity? As no one could answer, he answered for them. The monk's hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen hall, the gate. Right now, this is the monk's hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen hall, the gate. Can you see it? Right now. Do you see one hair penetrating many holes? The urgent question I think we have to ask ourselves is, why are so many of us so afraid of being truly human? Why do we frantically defend ourselves rather than acknowledging our vulnerability and embracing our brokenness? I don't have any answers to this question. But our study text suggests an alternative. And it quotes the Avatamsaka Sutra. The body of the Buddha blazes forth a radiance of infinite colors, perfectly pure, which convey, covers all lands like overarching clouds, everywhere presenting the virtues of awakening. All who are illumined by this radiance rejoice and suffering beings are freed from pain. All are moved to reverence and recognize their own capacity to open to openness. This is the free functioning of awakening. So in order to alleviate our own suffering, we can open to openness. We can find strength and vulnerability and wholeness and brokenness. We can heal simply by opening to whatever we are, however we are, exactly where we are. This is the free functioning of awakening. I've gotten a little sidetracked because I never finished the story about the rice cake guy and the rice cake lady, what happened? Everything I told you so far about Ryotan was actually the backstory. The koan starts after what I've been told you about. So it goes like this. Tokusan, that's Deshaun, once called on Ryotan to ask for instruction and stayed until night fell. Ryotan said, it is getting late. You had better leave. At last, Tokusan said goodbye, lifted up the door curtain and went out. Noticing that it was dark, he turned back and said, it is dark outside. Ryotan thereupon lit a candle and handed it to him. Tokusan was about to take it when Ryotan blew it out. At this, Tokusan was all of a sudden enlightened. 
he made a bow. Ryotan asked, what realization do you have? Tokusan replied, from now on, I will not doubt the sayings of any of the great Zen masters of the world. So we've come back again to luminosity. Here's this guy who was challenged to light up his mind and he couldn't do it. He was clueless. So he asked for instruction and came to this other teacher and uh, talked and talked and talked. Finally, he left, finally he left and it was dark. It was dark outside, he couldn't see a thing. He wanted to see, but until that can candle was blown out, he couldn't, he was totally blind. It was only when he had no idea what was going on, no idea who he was, no clue how to go, what to do, what to say. Then he knew who he was. Then he really saw. That was the moment of perfect luminosity. Recently, I had a similar experience. I was riding the A train coming back from JFK. And uh, <clears throat> very soon after I boarded, the A train screeched to a halt between stations, as it often does. It's one of its more charming features. So at that moment, it just so happened, after 14 hours of traveling, I was looking at the floor, completely zoned out, and from behind the clouds, the sun emerged. And the floor, filthy, warped, pitted, strewn with garbage, was suddenly illuminated with this blinding light. And it's strange to say, but this linoleum, which has probably been walked on by 5 million people, was polished to, so it was like a mirror. And I was blinded by the sunlight. I was looking right at it and suddenly I was just blinded by it. And I had to avert my eyes. Looking outside, what did I see? The International House of Pancakes. So there was the International House of Pancakes. There was a pigeon walking along an I-beam then I looked back inside, there were all my co-passengers, most of them buried in their phones or just zoned out as I had been only a moment before. But everything was totally different for me. I was actually seeing it. Just at that moment, I was actually able to see what was in front of me. There was really nothing mystical about it. I was just there for a change, instead of being somewhere else. But it's the fruit of practice that I could notice that I was there and actually participate in the experience fully, instead of just brushing it aside or not even noticing that I was actually there at that moment. There was no self and there was self. There was no mind and there was mind. It's just as Dogen asked in Radiant Light, how do mountains and rivers, 
all of a sudden appear. Temporarily blinded, I temporarily saw the mountains and rivers right there in Queens. <clears throat> all of a sudden, the International House of Pancakes was transformed into the absolute, total, and complete house of all pancakes throughout all space and time. All of a sudden, there was that particular pigeon on that particular beam. This vital shift from stupor to stupendous is perfectly described by Dogen in his radiant light. Until that time, no one in China had seen or heard of the radiant light of Buddha ancestors. Who then was even aware of the radiant light of the self? Even though people had been carrying the radiant light within their heads and encountering it all the time, they still did not practice it as their own eyeballs. Thus, they do not clarify the shape and function of radiant life. Because they avoid encountering the radiant light, their radiant light was missing, radiant light. Although missing is itself radiant light, they were immersed in missing. So radiant light is missing, radiant light, and radiant light is practicing to no longer be immersed in missing radiant light. This is the practice of the treasury of luminosity. We don't have time to waste conceiving of ourselves in terms of obstructions and limitations, squeezing off out thoughts of self and poverty. Our practice practices all beings. So let's practice our asses off. Here's a verse, the Aroha, to encourage us to all get on with it and get with it. Though the colors are bright, they fade away. Who in this world of ours may continue forever? Crossing today the boundaries of the physical world, no more shallow dreams for intoxication. Thank you.